Before we get started, I have an important message. If you're on Medicare or about to be, you don't want to go it alone. And you don't want to just call the first guy who sends you a postcard. My husband did that, and he wound up with some bad advice that costs us a penalty each month that will never go away. So what can you do? Contact one of our member experts by going to certifiedmedicareagents.com and searching your state for an agent. You'll be able to look through our member agents and read about them. Then you can reach out to the agent or broker you select directly through the site. Now, one thing you should know is other sites who do this sell your information to 15 or more agents so you can get hundreds of unwanted phone calls. Not so with CertifiedMedicareAgents.com. You'll only be contacted by one agent, and if there is a problem, I may personally reach out to you, but generally you will only hear from the one agent you select. So head on over there right now before you forget and find a qualified and certified agent that can help you today. Now, let's start our program. When it comes to love and desire, do our hearts change over a lifetime? And if they do, how? Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Hi, this is Kathy founder of Rock Your Retirement. And I started this show because many baby boomers think that retirement is all about money and it's not. Think about it. How difficult can it be going from spending 2,000 or more hours every year doing something to zero? For the first six months, it's fun, but then you might hit a wall and many divorces can happen after retirement because the couple isn't used to spending so much time together depression can also set in. We want to help that, so that's why I started this show. Our guest for today is Stephen Loring, and he received his MFA in social documentary filmmaking from the School of Visual Arts in 2012, where his short films won numerous festival awards. Recently, he was the archival researcher for Marshall Curry's Academy Award-nominated documentary, If a Tree Falls. As a screenwriter, Stephen wrote eight movies of the week for NBC, CBS, and Lifetime, including The Other Mother with Frances Fisher and No One Would Tell with Fred Savage, one of my favorite actors. He is a graduate of Wesleyan University with degrees in organic chemistry and theater, so he's a smarty. His new feature documentary, The Age of Love, previewed at the AARP National Expo and has screened at over 350 venues worldwide. It will premiere in Poland, Russia, and Brazil this fall. It may have already previewed or premiered by the time we air this. The documentary follows a first-of-its-kind speed dating event for 70 to 90-year-olds. He explores both the humor and the poignance as 30 seniors take stock of aging bodies and still hopeful hearts and confront the reality of seeking new relationships at the far reaches of life. 
Stephen, I am so glad you agreed to be on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Kathy. So tell me, what gave you the idea for this project? Oh, well, the idea originated not with like a news story or something. It really came from my own life. I was, as you mentioned, working in Hollywood and did a lot of films that were derivative of other people's ideas or books or stories. And I I really wanted to follow something that was in my own heart at the time. And what happened is that my dad had passed away recently. My mom was 70 years old and she was alone, like without her soulmate, her lifelong soulmate for the first time. I mean, they were married for 50 years and were truly a pair. They defined themselves as a couple. And suddenly it was like, who's ever going to touch me again? You know, who will share a meal? She talked about getting in bed at night, reaching over for that warm hand that she always knew was there and just feeling the space. And it was really difficult to kind of look at her life in a new way at that point. And it was something that none of us had really expected. Everything happened so suddenly. The same year, my uncle, who was 78 at the time, and he had lived alone his entire life, never had children or married. And honestly, he had never even been on a date as far as anybody in the family knew. He just was a, a bachelor forever. He met a woman who was 80, and they essentially like locked the bedroom door and they were teenagers again. I mean, it was a real, yeah, a love affair. It was amazing to think, you know, to me that here's a guy who had never experienced or explored that part of his needs or his emotional life for eight decades. And suddenly he's madly in love. Like, where did that capacity and desire come from? And I guess there were so many things going on all around me in life that had to do with emotional vibrancy and needs of a generation of people that the media tells us are beyond that or don't really feel the same way they did when they were younger. If they fall in love now or need a connection, it's cute rather than real. And you know, I could see in my own life that just wasn't true. And I thought if there's some way to bring a story that really shows what people are feeling at that point in life and that it's not so much different inside as we were at any stage in life. That would be a really great value to the conversation out in the world. And when I happened to find a speed dating event that aimed specifically at people over 70, which really puts it in that World War II, that greatest generation, these aren't baby boomers. These are people who grew up never imagining that they would have another chance at love in the next millennium. And I thought, wow, if I could just get permission to film that and to uh, listen and talk to these people, what great voices might come out of it, voices that we never really hear. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Did your mom see the show? She's seen the movie for sure, yes. I mean, she she wasn't one of the speed daters in the event, but she's totally on board with the uh, the whole concept. I mean, the idea, it's funny that the worst thing that could have happened to her is the loss of love in her life and my dad's passing away. And it's it's led to this project, which has now reached 14 countries around the world and set up so many people to find new love and encourage them to find love and really try to change the conversation about what love is all about and how much we still need it. So she's really excited to see that there's such a a change in the world because of what you know she 
inspired in me and experienced. She must be really proud of you. I think so. <laughs> we, we do. She travels with me sometimes to do Q&As at screenings, and she always loves to stand up and, and answer a couple of questions from the audience. So That's it's, really uh, cool. Yeah, it's fun to have her along. So you found this speed dating event. You got permission to film it. And then I'm assuming that each individual gave you permission as well? Or did you only have permission to film certain people or everybody? Right. Well, that's a really great question, actually, because I think every documentary is basically an idea when it just starts. There's no script and there's no plan. There's no story. You really don't know what you're going to film and what you'll actually have at the end of the day. And obviously, to film this properly, I needed permission from all 30 participants. It's a real speed dating event. It was really happening. People signed up without any idea that there would be a film made about it. And my assumption, probably with my own uh, assumptions about aging and what people need or want at that point in life, I mean, I assume people would be embarrassed to let other people know that they were going speed dating when they were 75 or 80 years old. <laughs> You know, I thought they haven't told their friends. They probably for sure haven't told their children they're going to do it. And the chances that they want their faces up on screens all over the world exposing all this private stuff about themselves was probably pretty unlikely. So I thought it was never going to happen. I thought, no, this isn't going to work, but it's such a great idea for a film. I have to try it out. So I got a list of all the participants. There were 15 men and 15 women. And I kind of prepared myself and sat down and called the first lady. And I started this little spiel with her about how I'm not trying to exploit you. I'm really looking for guides into a world, a mindset and a, a world that I don't really understand myself. And, you know, just trying to find a way in to see how I could convince her. And she stopped me at some point in my little talk. And she said, look, let me tell you something, Steve. She said, my kids love me. They do everything that kids should do for a parent. They call, we go out and celebrate birthdays. We talk on the phone. We, you know, we share all, everything that we're supposed to share in life. But even my own children never ask me at this point in life, what's in my heart and what I'm feeling. Am I lonely? You know, that's become a topic that just isn't on the table anymore. It's in, in terms of my emotional life, I'm invisible to the world. Why wouldn't I want to talk about it? <laughs> because, you know, there's so much going on here. I'm going speed dating for a reason. And she said, bring your camera and come over. Wow. <laughs> that and is yeah, awesome. It inspired me to move down the list. And in three days, it took me to call all 30 people. On the first call, 29 of the 30 people said, bring your camera and come over. And the other man said, come over without your camera, we'll talk and you'll bring your camera later. So <laughs> essentially, I got permission from everybody. You know, I'm a stranger to them. They didn't know who I was or what my intentions were, except for trying to sound friendly and professional on the phone. And they were ready to open up their lives because they felt so profoundly invisible, except for you know, healthcare or financial issues, you know, the things that the media pitch to older people and think that they're their only concerns. They felt so invisible in terms of who they were and who they were inside all their lives that they were they were thrilled that somebody wanted to listen to them. Like I said before, when you have a documentary, you don't know what you're going to get. But there's a moment, 
I think when you know you're onto something and that there's a story out there. And for me, that was that was the moment that I was ready to spend the next however many years making this because I knew that there was something that people hadn't touched on that needed to be looked at in society. Wow. Well, so you you had the idea, you got the permission. What did you think was going to happen? Well, I had no idea what was going to happen because, <laughs> um, you know, here were 30 strangers to me. They were all older people. I was nervous because I had to go into their homes and make a movie. You know, it's not just talking heads. I had to find visuals. I didn't know who was going to be interesting or exciting. I didn't know who was going to get a date, but I decided that I was going to film it without a crew because I felt I have a limited amount of time. There were three weeks, in fact, about three and a half weeks between between the time I got this list and the actual speed dating event. So I didn't have a lot of time to film. And I knew if I came into people's houses with a camera and a sound guy, you know, a whole crew of people, it would be unlikely they would open up. And I decided to shoot it myself just because then I could have conversations with people and not feel like I was sitting down with a list of questions and put them on the spot to answer. But I didn't know who was going to be in the movie at all. And I knew I couldn't fit all 30 people. I had to find the people who really embodied the issues and themes that the movie would eventually be about. So, I mean, I just filmed 14 hours a day, every single day, covering everybody, hoping that the personalities would emerge, which they did. And I would be able to see who I could put together and use in the film that would really open eyes to things we don't realize or think about when it comes to older people and and their emotional lives. That must have been such a great project to to work with. You know, I I can't even imagine spending that much time with 30 people and getting to know. Do you ever keep in touch with any of them? Oh, for sure. They well, they keep in touch with me. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I finished filming, one of the women who ended up having quite a featured role in the film, she said, you know, once you leave town, once this is over, I'll never be as important in life again. You know, it's like I'm a movie star now. But I think it was it goes back to the same feeling that everybody began with, is that suddenly they weren't invisible. Suddenly somebody wanted to hear the things that they weren't really allowed to talk about or that our world doesn't really consider. You know, they felt they were going back into their, their regular lives again. What kind of love do you think people were looking for that participated in this event? Well, I think love... Is It's interesting because I think I put up on my desk when I started making this film a, a question. There's always like something I want to um, embody the themes of the film with that I can keep coming back to. And I wrote this question, when it comes to love and desire, do our hearts change over a lifetime? And if they do, how? That was really like in the back of my mind, I think, throughout the entire process of making the film because of the assumptions that love does change, that it's not real in some ways, uh, the stereotypes that we put on older people. And I think what I learned in making the film is that when you're older, there's this conception that you're just looking for companionship. That's like a something people talk about a lot. And it's somehow a degraded form of true romantic love. But I think when people are younger, they're looking for 
so many different things because they're trying to create their life at that point. They're looking for uh, somebody to match in terms of career and money and where they want to live and how they're going to have children and raise a family. There's looks and there's status. I mean, there's so many different elements that are layered on top of the search for a person to love in life when you're younger, that when you get older, that those considerations are, are gone and to a large extent. And what's left is you're looking for somebody who can just see you and understand you for who you are. It's like not to be alone. It's that, that defeat of loneliness, to feel connected to somebody and something in the world. And really, when you're younger, I think that's what underlies the search for love, too. Aside from the search to start a family and some of the other things that we layer on top of what love is when we're young. But essentially, when you're young and when you're old, you just want somebody who will understand who you are and who you can understand and will be there for you. And that doesn't change. And I think what I learned is that age somehow strips away a lot of those layers of complicating layers of what we put on top of what love really is. And the essential part of it really is the same. There's one character in the movie who said to me that he feels that love is even deeper now than it was when he was younger. And it's really interesting why. But he said, because when I was younger, I was trying to be something for somebody. I was trying to be cooler and stronger and to present myself in a way that I knew she would want me to be. Now, he said, I don't really have that need anymore. And so I'm more authentic to who I am. He said, the things I fear in life, I can talk about with somebody that I'm in a relationship now because we're older and we all have those same fears and we've lost the need to pretend that we're somebody else. And the idea of sharing my fears in life honestly makes the sense of connection and the sense of love even deeper than it was when I was younger. You know, there's a lot of things in making the film that open my eyes to what people need and want inside and what our hearts really yearn for. And I don't, I don't think it changes over a lifetime. Wow. How insightful. You know, that that's really deep. You know, I want to ask you a question and you can say no, you don't want to answer it if you'd like. But this is really what my listeners and I want to know. What about sex? So my favorite character in the Golden Girls was Blanche Devereaux. The actress's name was Rue McClanahan, I think was her name. Yes, and yes. she was my favorite character because she was so sexually free. Did you meet any characters like that in your project? For sure. <laughs> Again, it's the, it goes to the stereotype that people are beyond that, but why would they be? You know, if, if people grew up all their lives having emotional and physical intimacy, why would it stop? Why would it just you know, end because it wasn't available, for instance, anymore or because you got to a certain age? I think one topic that came up an awful lot is the need for touch. You can't generalize about any age group. I mean, there's younger people and older people who are more interested in sexual relationships or less interested in it. But the thing that came up over and over with the characters in the film was that they all missed being touched or being hugged or just having another person to come up behind and and share a moment with 
a lot of the people were interested in, in something more than that, but I think everybody felt that lack. You know, that's a, it's a kind of a key human trait is uh, there's nothing that shows how alone we are at a, at a certain point in life more than not having somebody. So, Stephen, tell me about the envelope. Well, you're referring in the film to the part where the people, after the speed dating is over, they are each given an envelope with their results in it um, that says who they matched up with and with the contact information. It really, to me, was the emotional heart of the film because I was there filming alone with each person as I gave them their envelope and talking to them at the same time about their experiences in speed dating and what they had expected and how it turned out. It's funny because I could see a nervousness in everybody that was really unexpected. The idea that when I first met a lot of the people, they came into this going like, well, it's just a lark. You know, I'll it's it's a it's another activity for the afternoon. I'm not looking for anybody. I'm not expecting anything. You know, it'll be something fun to talk about at lunch the next day. But you could see that people were involved in a really deep emotional way with us. And I should say by the time they got to the speed dating event itself and they were all polished and combed and perfumed and whatever preparations they had made, when they walked into the speed dating event, it was almost like walking into a senior prom at high school. There was that <laughs> sense of expectation and hope and fear, whatever it is, that mixture in the air of what's going to happen. Is somebody going to like me or nobody will like me? And so it all really came to a head when they were opening their results envelopes, which gave them the final answer as to whether they were, uh, how many people they matched up with. And you could see that the people had not really changed inside. It looked like teenagers you know, worried about the insecurities of, well, the guy who I like, like me back. And you know, what if nobody likes me? And you know, they would, it was really the, the emotional crux of, of the film because I think the experience of going speed dating brought people just into a world that showed that their young sides are not gone or uh, expired, you know, expiration date, but they're actually still young inside. And that part of them had just been dormant for years. And the excitement of the event brought back so many of those old high school emotions again. So without giving away how the film turns out, you know, some people had opened up the envelope and found that there wasn't as much interest as they hoped. And some found that there was way more interest <laughs> than they hoped. The looks of sadness or joy in their faces, I was really shocked to see and I was really honored that they ex exposed in front of me again while being filmed you know that was a it was a really emotional kind of a turning point in the film because then the film goes on to follow some of the couples who did get together and, oh, and wow. matched up when they go out on their first date and looks at how the dating world really has changed and how they're able to adapt or not adapt to to exposing themselves on a real date again for the first time often in a half a century. Any favorite stories? There's a lot of funny things that happened <laughs> on dates. 
one guy, for some reason, can't stop talking about, maybe out of nervousness or maybe because it's what's on his mind, he can't stop talking about his years of medical problems and <laughs> operations. And that doesn't go over too well. I'm sure it doesn't. And actually, one couple plays a trick on me, the filmmaker. Again, I don't know if I should give that away now because it's a it's an amazing moment that really proves that even these two people in their late 70s had such chemistry that they worked together to fake out the filmmaker in a <laughs> very unexpected way, even before they had met in person after the speed dating event. And you know, there were 40, 48 dates that came out of the event that was filmed. Wow. And that everybody who picked somebody you know, who marked on their scorecard that there was a, at least one other person they were interested in, everybody got a date, which was great because that really encouraged a lot of people to see themselves. That's great. In a much more emotionally vital and hopeful way. So you've alluded to this trick. I can't wait to watch the film to find out what it is. Where can people find your film so that they can see this trick that somebody played on you? <laughs> Well, hopefully there's a lot more to watch than that, but that was a, that's a very funny part. And I should say the exciting thing to me was that the film turned out to be so funny. I mean, there's a lot of documentary films out there in the world that kind of deal with issues of aging and older populations. And I love and admire so many of them. And I watch them all the time. But I think the thing about this film is that it's not really about aging in terms of a people with a specific disability or a specific community they live in or people who have a specific talent. It's really about the average rank-and-file person in our entire society who's just alone and is not really paid attention to. It really is not a movie about aging, in my mind, as much as it's a movie about love and about what doesn't change, about what endures throughout our entire lifespan. And I think whether you're 18 or 80, you know what the search for love is about. And it resonates with you, which is one reason the film is, I think, aimed to a large extent at younger audiences. Baby boomers who see it, who have said, you know, I've never talked to my mother or father who's alone about what they feel, and I need to go do that. I never even thought of that before. Or they say, in this day and age, I could live for another 40 years, and I may be alone. It never occurred to me what I would do or how I would face that. And we've even screened in high schools, both to younger audiences as well as younger and older audiences together in in multi-generational screenings. And to have 16-year-olds and 80-year-olds talk about their dating life (laughs) face-to-face I love it. Yeah, it's an amazing moment. And you find out that everybody feels stereotyped, everybody feels overlooked, everybody feels misunderstood in some way, and there isn't that much difference between the generations, which is in itself an eye-opening lesson, you know, for people. In California, actually, we've they've set up LGBT events too, uh, senior LGBT dating events. So the film not only crosses cultures. Dating events are coming up in Warsaw and Moscow now and had interest in Mumbai and Tokyo and amongst all different types of socioeconomic communities. The film takes place in a very white middle-class suburb of Rochester, New York, but we've screened it for all sorts of diverse audiences that find the message 
to be aging is the minority or aging is the being older and being invisible and being overlooked kind of cuts across all cultural and socioeconomic lines as well as gender identity and, and health issues. You know, you're all in the same boat when people just disregard you because of your age. But to get to your, your question, the film has been released uh, in community screenings right now, and we've had hundreds of them. And if you want to find out where more are coming up, there's a list on our website, theageoflovemovie.com, and there's a page called Screenings, which lists all the upcoming screenings. In the coming year, in 2017, we plan to have a television broadcast as well as release the film on DVD and through streaming services. So in that time frame, you can probably find it more widely released, but you can always come to the website and get information of where the film can be seen next and you know, where it will be released and what Perfect. the dates will be. Yeah, I'm going to actually put that on the show notes for this page or, you know, for this interview. And I'm going to include a trailer and some different links that people can use to find out more information about the show. So before we end, I have just one more question for you. Are you ready? Sure. Do you think you'll have love at age 85? <laughs> well, that's a big question to ask at the very end. <laughs> you know, I hope so. It, it's funny, you know, there's so much I could say about that because I don't think anybody makes a documentary film that doesn't, or maybe any creative project that doesn't reflect the needs and fears and hopes of the filmmaker. You know, there's no way you would set off on a, a journey that's going to take years if it didn't have some resonance in your own life. And, you know, this certainly does have resonance in my life. I'm currently not married and I'm middle-aged and looking ahead the same way a lot of other people are, but it's uh, certainly a human desire not to be alone. And my goal is to have obviously some love in my life as long as I'm here to enjoy it. So, Yes, I do expect to be in love when I'm 85. And plus the fact that the world is aging so quickly, 85, when I get there, will probably be late middle age. So <laughs> That's what they say. They say 60 is the new 40, right? That's what they say. Right? 80 is so. the new 60. So that's what I'm going on. <laughs> well, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show. But first, I wanted to let my listeners know that Stephen has been so gracious to give us a freebie that you can get, and it's called the Eight Senior Dating Tips. And this is just uh, eight tips that he gathered from the people that were at the event that can help you if you are a senior who is dating or looking for love. And you can find that at rockyourretirement.com slash love. So once again, that's rockyourretirement.com slash love. Now, Stephen, if people want to get a hold of you or get in more information about the film, where should they go? Well, go to the website. Um, there's a contact form and there's also forms on the website where you can learn how to host a screening in your own community or for your own organization or company. And there's also a form if you would like to hold a senior speed dating event in your community. I can also help. We've created a 
senior speed dating kit, which takes all the information from the event that was seen in the film and makes it available to organizations that would like to not have to reinvent and uh, just, you know, figure out how to do it, but would like a package where they can actually make a difference in the lives of people in their own communities. So, you know, more than happy to spread the love any way we can as part of the outreach for this film as it goes all over the world. I love that. So that can be found at the Age of Love Movie. Dot com. Yes. Thanks again, Stephen. Really appreciate your coming on the show. This has been great fun. And for Thank my you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. And for my listeners, we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Hi, this is Kathy. When I'm not hosting Rock Your Retirement, I'm helping people with their Medicare insurance. One of the times you need to check your Medicare insurance is when you've moved. To get my free guide, Five Things You Need to Know About Medicare When You Are Moving, just go to medicarequick.com slash move. And in the meantime, listen to these cool disclosures. Neither Medicare Quick nor its agents is connected with the federal Medicare program. Medical insurance licensed in the states of California, Florida, Nevada, and Texas, and Medicare Advantage and Prescription Drug Plan service areas vary. California Insurance License 0797566.